the Gospel of John today, the Gospel of John. I've got a book in my collection of books written by Merrill Tenney called The Gospel of Belief. He calls the first four chapters of the Gospel of John the period of consideration, uh, followed by the period of controversy. And uh, I think that's a pretty good description of the first four chapters of John, the period in Jesus' life in which people encounter Him, spend time with Him, talk to Him, hear Him talk to them, watch what He does, and give some consideration as to who Jesus is. What, what is His true identity? For example, John the Baptist spends some time with Jesus, listens to what Jesus has to say, hears what the Lord has to say from heaven about Jesus, sees a dove descending alone upon Him, and he decides after a period of consideration that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, or the Son of God. We also read about Andrew coming to Jesus and spending some time with Jesus. And after a period of time, after giving some consideration to what Jesus says and what He does, he goes and tells his brother, whose name is Peter, we found the Messiah. So Andrew suggests that Jesus is the Messiah. Nathaniel is another man that spends some time with Jesus. He listens to what Jesus has to say about him, that is, about Nathaniel. And he determines that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the King of Israel. And so that's a good description of these first several chapters of the book of, uh, the, book of uh, the Gospel of John. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, again, enters into a conversation with Jesus. They talk back and forth for a while. She goes back to the men of her city and says, well, I've, I found the Messiah. Can this be the Messiah? <laughs> you know, found a man that told me all things that I've ever done. Can this be the Messiah? Now, I want to look at John chapter 3 today. In John chapter 3, we read about another man who spends some time with Jesus. They talk back and forth, and this, on this occasion, Jesus has some important things to say to Nicodemus. This is a story of Jesus and Nicodemus. The Scripture tells us that, Jesus, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He spends some time with Jesus, and uh, Jesus talks to him about being born again. And so we're going to read the first several verses of this, and we're going to talk about being born again this morning. And so we'll begin in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
And so Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again, an important idea, important concept in the Bible. And we hear a lot of people in the world around us these days talking about being born again. And so it's worth our while to talk about it. We need to understand it. We need to understand what it means to be born again. After all, Jesus says on this occasion, you must be born again. Not it would be good for you to be born again, or you know, some disciples are born again. You must be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk a little bit about this passage. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Pharisees are usually the antagonists in uh, their encounters with Jesus. They're usually the people that are opposing Jesus or criticizing Jesus in some way. But Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, comes to Jesus on this occasion, and he seems to be sincere. He wants to talk to Jesus. He has some questions perhaps to ask him, although maybe he didn't get to ask him the questions he had on his mind. But, but Nicodemus is a Pharisee, sort of an unusual Pharisee perhaps. He's described as a ruler and in verse 10, which we didn't read, he's described as the teacher of Israel. That's an interesting description. Not a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel. And so Nicodemus isn't an ordinary Pharisee. He's a leader among them. He teaches Pharisaic Judaism, perhaps one of the most influential and respected teachers among the Pharisees. After all, that expression, you are the teacher of Israel, would suggest that, that he's outstanding among the leaders among the Pharisees. And so there's something about Nicodemus that distinguishes him from the ordinary uh, Pharisee. Maybe his ability or his personal charisma or his experience, but there's something that makes him stand out among the others. Now later on in John's Gospel, in chapter 7, the uh, leaders of the Jews are talking about what they need to do about Jesus. He's causing them problems. What do we need to do about him? And Nicodemus speaks up, and his advice is highlighted. Now, we don't judge a man unless we hear what he says and examine what he, what he does. Now, they don't follow his advice, but it's interesting that his advice stands out, and his advice is highlighted there in, a, in the text. Now, Nicodemus is a seeker. He, he, he's seeking Jesus out. He comes to Jesus. He's inquisitive. Uh, the Bible says he came to him by night. I guess we could ask and try to answer, why would he come to him by night? And I don't know that we're given the answer to that in, in so many words. Now, it's interesting in the Gospel of John that darkness represents evil, and Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. He is the light. And so Nicodemus comes to him, comes to him at night when it's dark. It's interesting to contrast that with what Judas did in John chapter 13 and verse 30. When Judas goes out to betray Jesus, John says, and it was night. Somebody has made the contrast that Nicodemus is coming out of the darkness to the light. He's coming to Jesus. And Judas is leaving the light and going into the darkness. Interesting contrast there, I think. Is that what is all intended when it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? I don't know, but an interesting contrast. 
So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, you know, we know, we, we know that you've come from God. After all, no one can do the things that you're doing. No one can do the miracles or the signs that you do unless God is with him. And so we, we know that, that God is with you. And it's almost as if Nicodemus is sort of trying to lead up to the question or the subject matter that he wants to talk with Jesus about. But Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. Now, if you go back to John chapter 2, right at the end of John chapter 2, we're told that, that uh, no one, Jesus did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so Jesus didn't need people to go, let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you about this man, what, what his uh, interests are, what his tendencies are. What is, well, Jesus already knew all that about it, all people he encountered. And so Jesus knew exactly what Nicodemus needed. And so it seems as though Nicodemus is leading up to the subject, getting, you know, sort of laying the groundwork for the question he wants to ask or the subject matter he wants to talk, talk about. And Jesus, knowing the heart of Nicodemus, gets right to the point. He, he sort of cuts through all the preliminaries and gets right to the heart of the matter. He tells Nicodemus what he needed to hear. It's not that he's telling Nicodemus in general what people need, well, although that's true. Nicodemus, this is what you need to hear. You must be born again. Now, that's what you need, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. You need to make a clean break with your past and begin again. Again, remember that Nicodemus is a, a Pharisee. He's entrenched in the cold, formal, legalistic traditions of the Pharisees. Jesus uh, criticizes the Pharisees for, for their uh, uh, building up of tradition upon tradition upon tradition in addition to the Word of God and sometimes even above the Word of God. Nicodemus is sort of entrenched in, in all of that. He's... We could call him a traditionalist. Somebody's made a distinction between tradition and traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of dead men, it's it said. And so there are people who have gone before us, and they've taught the Word of God, and, and, and that teaching stays with us. Tradition is the living faith of dead men. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. <laughs> And so sometimes we get stuck in, well, this is the way it's always been done in the past. We don't really give much thought to it. We're just going through the motions and the rituals. And the traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. An interesting contrast again. And so Nicodemus, the Pharisee, is a traditionalist, isn't he? And Jesus said, Nicodemus... Your, your, your traditions and the rituals that you've developed through the years in addition to the Word of God, and you adhere to that religiously. <laughs> it does you no good. You need to start over. You need to begin again. In fact, you need to be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, the idea of being born again is found in several places in the New Testament. We've, this is, I'm sure, the most well-known place where we read about people being born again or the need to be born again. But it's found in other places as well. In fact, we find it in the epistles of John. 1 John talks about being born of God. 
Peter talks about being born again. James talks about being born again. Let's look at a couple of those passages. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. And so that's the, there's the idea of being born of God. Those who practice righteousness are born of God. In chapter 3 and verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so, and so John talks about being born of God. And very similar to what he says in, in the Gospel of John, being born again. We also find, and maybe surprisingly to some, Peter talking about being born again as well. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. You've been born again, Peter says. How? By the Word of God. So just kind of put that in your memory bank. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. You've been, that's Peter. You've been born again by the Word of God. And then James mentions being born again as well. In James chapter 1 and verse 18, In the exercise of His will He brought us forth. There's that idea of being born. He brought us forth in the exercise of His will by the word of truth. Very similar to what Peter says, by the word of truth, so that we be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Now, now Paul talks about being adopted into the family of God in Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1. We, we are adopted, and that's a little bit different from being born again, but has some similarities. The family analogy is found in Paul as well. But, but Paul does say, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creature. A new creature. That's similar to being born again, isn't it? We become new creatures in Christ. He says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 that when we come up out of baptism, we walk in newness of life. Again, an idea very similar to being born again. And in other passages, Paul talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man which is being recreated or created in the image of God. So, putting on the new man, becoming a new creature, beginning a new life. Maybe not using the terminology born again, but very similar ideas. And so, the idea is not uncommon in the New Testament, not uncommon in the world around us. And we need to understand it. So, what, what does it mean to be born again? Well, it simply means to to experience a spiritual renewal, to start all over again, that we experience a change in life so dramatic, so complete, so thorough, it's as if we're starting our life over again. Now we can illustrate this in a number of different ways. It's just in our just in our lifetime, not in a religious context necessarily, but in a, people. Uh, undergo all kinds of 
dramatic, complete <laughs> changes. Thought about this illustration. Do you know that Hillary Clinton at one time in her youth supported Barry Goldwater for president? <laughs> Some of you might be wondering, who's Barry Goldwater? Others might be wondering, who's Hillary Clinton? You know? <laughs> I don't know. That's a dramatic change, isn't it? When she was at Wellesley College, at least in the beginning of her time there, she was president of the Wellesley College chapter of the Young Republicans. Now that's a dramatic change, you know. And I, again, I'm not saying she's born again in the sense that Jesus was talking about, but, but being born again is that kind of dramatic, drastic, complete, and thorough change. We used to be this. And now we're something completely different. Now we're this. Our life has started over. We've been born again. Now, this, this birth that we're talking about is affected by God. It's brought about by God. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus said, or John says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this new birth is brought about by God. And so we are born again. We're born of God. Comes through Christ or in Christ through the gospel. Now notice what Jesus says to John the Baptist. Not John the Baptist. I don't know why I keep saying John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you must. If you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, if you're going to be a member of that kingdom, if you're going to enter into it, it's absolutely necessary that you change in this way. That you undergo this drastic, complete, thorough change and be influenced by God in that way to, to do that. All right, so, and of course what Jesus says to Nicodemus applies to all of us who read that passage. All of us must be born again. So how, how do we do that? Let's spend a few minutes talking about that. How, how, how must we be born again? We, we must be born again. How are, is a person born again? So when Jesus tells this to Nicodemus, it seems that there are either one or, one or two possibilities. Either Nicodemus can do absolutely nothing and just hope that God acts on him in, in a way to, to bring about this new birth. Now, now, Nicodemus, you must be born again, but you can't do anything to bring that about. It's just you've got to wait and hope for it. Or Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to take the necessary steps to bring about this kind of change in your life. Now the latter is true, isn't it? Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17 says, Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And so we, if we will, we can drink of that water of life. If we will, if we want to, if we desire it, we can bring about that process by which we will be born again. As we said a moment ago, it's brought about by God. It's, it, it's the power of God that brings about this new birth in it. You'll notice in John chapter 3, we must be born of water and the Spirit if we're going to be born again. And in John chapter 6 and in verse 63, Jesus says, it's the Spirit that gives life. 
The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so notice, notice the connection there. The Spirit gives life. The words that I spoke to you are spirit and life. Remember how we said in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're born again by the Word of God? In James chapter 1, we're, born, we're, we're, we're brought forth by the Word of God here, Jesus says. It's the Spirit that gives life. The words. So see that connection between the Spirit and the Word? The words that I speak are spirit and life. And so, how are we born again? We're born again through the Word of God. God brings that about. God is the one who begets us again or brings us forth. But He does through. So, through the Word of God, the gospel that teaches us about Christ, and when we obey that gospel, well, then we'll be born again. I think there's a simple answer to it, really. If a person genuinely becomes a Christian, he'll be born again. All right? If a person genuinely becomes a Christian, he will be born again. Now, some people go through the motions of becoming Christians that may not do it genuinely or sincerely. I understand that. But if you genuinely become a Christian, you will be born again. So let's, let's give a test case. Go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find people gathered together on the day of Pentecost... And Peter and the other apostles begin to preach to them and teach them. Uh, Peter's sermon is highlighted. And you remember what he has to say. He says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death, but God raised him up again. So I just want you to see that. Here, Peter is speaking to these people, and he really makes a strong accusation against them. This Jesus circulated among us. We know about him. We know the signs that he did. But you killed him. You put him to death. But God raised him up again. Now, Scriptures support the resurrection of Jesus from Psalm chapter 16, or the 16th Psalm. See him quoting that beginning in verse 25. And Peter says, we're all witnesses of his resurrection. He preaches the gospel to them, in other words, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And he calls upon them, know with certainty that God has made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. They're moved by what they hear. They're cut to the heart. And they call out, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and each one of you be baptized in Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is preached to them. They hear it. They accept it. They're moved by it. They want to act upon it. They ask what else they need to do. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We read a little bit later that 3,000 on that day were baptized, and the Lord added them to His people, added them to the church. Now, were those people born again? <laughs> of course they were. I don't know anybody that would de deny that. Of course they were born again. Well, what did they do? They became Christians. They genuinely became Christians. 
Well, let's see, do they undergo a drastic and complete and thorough change in their life? Absolutely. You see, in the beginning we highlighted the fact that they had been responsible for the death of Jesus. <laughs> After hearing Peter preach, they're convinced that he's the Messiah and they want to be followers of Jesus. That's a, that's a drastic change in a person's life, isn't it? In other words, they've repented, they've changed. Their lives are no longer what they once were. Well, how, how did that come about? When God forgave their sins, of course. God is the one who brings them forth. When they heard the Word of God preached. Remember, we talked about that. We're born again by the Word of God. Well, they heard Peter preach. He preached the Word of God. And then they were born of water as well. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. All the elements are there, aren't they? A radical change, a drastic change in life that's brought about by God through the preaching of the gospel as they respond to what they've heard and become disciples of Jesus by repenting and being baptized. They're born again. That's how a person is born again. <laughs> he becomes a Christian. He, he, he hears the gospel preached. He decides to accept it. He repents of his sins. He changes his life. He's baptized in the name of Christ, and his new life begins. A, a brand new kind of life, in some ways drastically different, in some cases dramatically different from the life that that person lived before. Well, we could put, do another test case. We want to spend but a minute on it. Acts chapter 16, we read about the Philippian jailer. You remember the story, the Philippian jailer. There's an earthquake. Paul and Silas are in prison. There's an earthquake. The jailer is afraid that the prisoners are going to escape, and so he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. We're all here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And so they say, believe on Christ, to believe on Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all that were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and his household. He brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. There's a person who's been born again, hasn't he? <laughs> Talk about a dramatic change. He went from being the jailer to the host. He accepts them into his house. He feeds them. He washes their wounds. That's a, that's a dramatic change. What brought about the change? Well, they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. They told him to believe on the Lord Jesus. And so that, that makes all the difference. And so instead of being there, you know, being in prison and, and watching over them, being their jailer, he, 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 he's their supporter. Because they now are brethren in Christ. He hears the word. He believes it. He repents. He changes his life. His life is changed. And he begins to be a disciple of Jesus. He's born again. again so again, has a person born again? Become a Christian. Genuinely become a Christian. And you'll be born again. Well, we're going to do part two to this sermon next week <laughs> and talk about what changes in a person's life when he's born again. Well, what kind of changes 
are brought about by being born again. So we're going to spend some time talking about that next week. We'll just close this morning by saying what Jesus said. You must be born again. We hope that you'll think about that if you haven't been born again, if you haven't genuinely become a Christian. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you today and to worship you. And we acknowledge, Father, your great wisdom and power and your grace and love and your mercy that you've bestowed to us through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we will devote ourselves to becoming the kind of people that you would have us to be. That if, if there are those among us who have never changed their lives so that they conform to your will, we pray, Father, that they'll give serious consideration to it this morning. May they believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. May they devote their lives to following Him. May they become united with Him by being baptized in His name and begin that new life, that new walk in Christ. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity to preach the gospel to tell others about your saving grace that you have extended to us through the gift of your Son, Jesus. And may we, Father, may we, each day of our lives, walk in his steps from this life to the next. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not a Christian,